So if you want to go ahead and flip to Matthew 17, you can get a little head start here. Um, also, while you're doing that, go ahead and flip to Exodus 32 and kind of hold both places. And I'll, maybe I'll try to find it as well. Um, so I've made reference to this in the past, but there have been weeks where I felt like I was preparing well, and then Friday, Saturday, God kind of flips the script on me a little bit and kind of changes directions, and a human side stresses out about that. I like to kind of have it all worked out before Saturday night or Sunday morning. Um, this was one of those weeks that things kind of changed, and I just trust that the Holy Spirit would speak, that it not be me trying to say everything right, but just that um, we'd really see here in Matthew 17, what God's command is and what Jesus is, both teaching in word and in deed. Um, so I'm going to read Matthew 17, 24 through 27. It says, When they had came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, do not give offense. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. So real quick, just kind of a little bit of background. The specific tax that's being referred to here is um, most likely the census tax from Exodus 30. So just kind of so we have a picture before we go too much further, go ahead and flip to Exodus 30, which hopefully you're already there and I am not. Um, we're going to read, it's 11 through 16, just for some background on this so that I think this will help. Exodus 30, 11 through 16. The Lord said to Moses, When you take the census of the people of Israel, then each shall give a ransom for his life to the Lord when you number them, that there be no plague among them when you number them. Each one who is numbered in the census shall give this, half a shekel, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. The shekel is 20 geras. Half a shekel as offered to the Lord. Everyone who is numbered in the census from 20 years old and upward shall give the Lord's offering. The rich shall not give more, the poor shall not give less than, half, than the half shekel when you give the Lord's offering to make atonement for your lives. You shall make, take the atonement money from the people of Israel and shall give it for the service of the tent of meeting, that it may bring the people of Israel to remembrance before the Lord as to make atonement for their lives." So this, this tax was being paid by everyone who is age 20 and up um, to, for the service of the tent of meeting, which if you fast forward to Jesus' day, you're talking about for the service of the temple. Um, and basically under Roman rule at this time, this tax would have still been done by the Jewish people, not so much by the Roman rulers. I read some extra biblical sources that were not in the Bible. They kind of confirmed this as well, that at this time the 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 Jewish people were taking this tax of everyone um, 20 and up. This tax, or this tax, this passage here in Matthew seems kind of like it's out of place a little bit. It seems 
I really don't know that I've ever heard a sermon preached on this, only this passage. Uh, maybe I have and I just don't remember, but I don't think I've heard something specifically right here. And but I, I think what this does, it's going to kind of set the stage a little bit for the next couple of weeks. Because Jesus is going to be instructing his disciples kind of what it looks like to live as the church. Um, we're going to see some tough teachings. We're going to see how Jesus is going to instruct them about, about not tempting one another, about not leading one another into sin. We're going to see that Jesus is going to talk about how to care for the church, how to address sin in the church, how to do discipline within the church. Some tough stuff in there. Um, but he's also going to talk about forgiveness and how important that is in the life of the church. And to kind of set the stage for all of this, this morning, like Jesus is talking just to Peter. Um, like we see next week where all the other disciples um, are there too. But we're going to see that he's talking about the importance of living in the world that we're in. Um, it kind of sounds funny, but that Jesus is giving us some, a little bit of direction on just how to be a part of the world that God has placed us in, this, the physical place. But it's going to be kind of a two-part sermon because next week we're going to look at how, what, what does it look like to be a child of the kingdom? What does it look like? What kind of traits do those people have that, that, that are children of the kingdom? And we'll see that more next week. We have like more focused on what is our command here when we talk more about children of the kingdom next week? So these two tax collectors come to Jesus and, or come to Peter, sorry. Come, come to Peter and ask, does Jesus pay this tax? And you see this a bunch of times where they come up and ask the disciples or they come up and ask Jesus questions trying to get him to give the wrong answer so they can have more things to accuse him with. And usually, usually the answer is something that they go back and they have more to accuse him with. And so that's kind of what you expect. Um, as we go through Matthew, he's continually doing things kind of against the Jewish religion or the, the, the Jewish system. And then Peter, with a lot of words, says, yep, yes, he's paying the tax. And it's like, wait, what? Like Jesus is doing something that the culture would expect him to do or that the culture would want him to do? And it, it seems backwards a little bit compared to what we've seen a lot of other times going through here. And a lot of people, um, as they read this, they, they believe that this is at Peter's house, actually, um, that, that as they're here, that Jesus and Peter are staying there and the other disciples are staying elsewhere. I don't think that's really important for this text. But I think when Jesus goes back in the house, I love Jesus' response. I, he goes back in the house after having probably going to get ready to go tell Jesus all of this interaction they just had. Hey, the, the, the leaders were trying, these tax collectors were trying to trap you again. They were trying to get you, but they didn't. And then Jesus, it says, verse 25, I love it. It says, Jesus spoke to him first. I don't want to go on too much of like a tangent here and go on this whole thing of the fact that, um, oh yeah, I forgot I put that in there. Um, the fact that Jesus knew that conversation, even though he wasn't there, like I really don't think Jesus was, had his ear up to the door eavesdropping on this conversation. Um, I don't want to go too much on this, but I do think that it is important to note that like last week we talked about being dependent, like our being utterly dependent on Jesus and 
because we can't do it. And I think this, like, Jesus knows. Like, the one that we're dependent on knows. He was aware of this. He was aware of the conversation with Peter and these two tax collectors. Like, that's there. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time there. But Jesus knows. The one that we're dependent on knows. But what does he, listen to what he asked Peter. Jesus says, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax? From their sons or from others? I think there's a lot of things in the Bible that are difficult to understand being from the background that we are. Like, we, don't, we, don't, we didn't grow up in a kingdom. We grew up in a democracy. Not a, not a monarchy, but a, in a democracy. We have a president. We don't have a king. And I think that makes certain things from us, like we don't initially get it, whereas someone, even living today, that grew up in a kingdom would understand a little bit more. But in a, in a kingdom with a king, what they would do is how the king would fund his kingdom, how he would fund the things that he does, whether it be military-wise or just building up his kingdom, would be he would tax the kingdom. And through that tax, not only would his kingdom be funded, but that would also provide for his family. That through that tax... His family would be provided for, his sons, his daughters, his um, close family. And that's different than, like, in our democracy, the, like, the president pays taxes, whereas that would not be so in a kingdom. So you see this example, it wouldn't make sense for the king to tax his sons or his daughters. Because in, in taxing his sons, he's taxing himself. He's He's saying, like, I'm providing for them, but I'm taxing them, so they give back to me as I provide for them. That, it doesn't make sense in a kingdom system, in a, in, a, in a rule by a king. And this text specifically, in Exodus, the one in Exodus 30, was given, it says it was given, where's that, where do I have it? It was given to the service of the tent of meeting, but that it was given as a ransom for their lives or like as an atonement for their lives. And not that that was actually making the ransom, not that that was atoning for their lives, but it was more so being instituted to further point to Jesus that there is the money, your money cannot buy your atonement. Your money cannot ultimately provide a ransom for your sin, but it's just further the Old Testament pointing towards Jesus and saying there's one coming who is going to ultimately fulfill this who's going to make an atonement for your sin, who's going to pay the ransom. And in God instituting this tax, it's not just him providing for the upkeep of the temple or for the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. But it's that plus this, this ultimate pointing towards Jesus. But all this whole system was about to drastically change. Like, Jesus was going to drastically change the way that all this, all this worked. There was no, no longer going to be sacrifices. He was going to be that sacrifice. There was no longer going to be the, the priest mediating for the sins of the people. Like, Jesus was going to be the mediator. The, the veil was going to be torn very quickly. We just read last week that he was already saying, I'm going to die. I'm going to do this. This is, this is still going to happen. And Jesus would refer to the temple as his father's house. We'll see, we'll see this in a couple weeks, but as a son, this, this specific tax, this, I'm not talking about taxes in general, this specific tax 
Jesus would not have been required to pay because if the temple is God's house, as a son, he's not required to pay that tax. It doesn't make sense for him to be taxed. Then if you look at for Peter here, Peter, although he might not have had Paul to refer to, he couldn't refer to Romans, he says, oh, we are heirs with Christ, being adopted as sons and as daughters. And in that sense, Peter, was Peter required to pay that tax? I don't know. But here's the thing. All that aside, Jesus not being required to pay the tax, he paid the tax. He didn't do it to to make atonement. Jesus didn't pay it to, to make a ransom with the money. Jesus tells us why he pays it. He says, however, not to give offense to them, go pay this tax. Out of a desire to unnecessarily offend them, Jesus paid the tax. Like, it wasn't because Jesus was afraid of offending them, because we clearly see Jesus is not afraid to offend people. He offended the Pharisees a lot, called them some names that big time offended them. He would, he'd point out their sin, and that would offend them. But it was not sinful for Jesus to make this payment and to, unnecess- to not unnecessarily offend them. He paid the tax. I'm not going to get in a whole lot to that last verse, which is kind of the awesome part of this passage, I think. I'm going to read verse 27 again real fast. Um, Verse 27 says, However, not to give offense to them, he's talking to Peter, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them, for me and for yourself. Unfortunately, I don't think this is saying that if you go fishing, God is going to pay your taxes. Like, I, as much as I wish that was here, I think that would be rather poor interpretation. Um, so, but I really don't want to get in too much to that. Um, but, so Jesus, but the point being, Jesus is paying the tax, not being required to, but not to give offense to them, he pays the tax. A lot of people... As I was reading uh, um, internet, different commentaries, different things like that, a lot of people were using this to show that, well, look, Christians, being sons of the kingdom, being heirs with Christ, are not required to pay taxes. I, I, that's, I don't see that. <laughs> I think that's also poor interpretation, because I think exactly the opposite is what Jesus is modeling here. I think exactly the opposite is what he's teaching, because... He was being part of this cult, the cultural system that was there. He's going to disagree a lot with what's going on in the temple. We're going to see that in a couple of weeks as Jesus goes into the temple. He disagrees with a lot of what's going on there. He's going to start flipping tables and stuff. But he still paid this tax. It was going for the upkeep of the temple. It wasn't that he was affirming any sin. Like when there was sin in the culture, he continually called that out. He called it sin offended people when he did that. But when it was not sinful as a part of the culture that he lived in, he played his part. Like, what is that? So what does that mean? What, like, what, what's the purpose in that? 
we all are citizens of a country under the rule of a government, whatever that be. Like, we also are, pulled of a, are part of a cultural system. But a lot of people would say, but wait, but wait, Jesus said that we're not part of this world. Like, they're not of this world. But Jesus said that, right? It's in John 15. It's actually right after the verses from John 15 that we read last week. Um, these verses are up on the screen. This is from John 15. He said, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, when I chose you out, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Like spiritually, we're not of the world. Like our hope is not in the world. Our love is not from the world. Our desire is not for the world. But we are planted in the world. Like God has us here right now as part of this. Johnson City, Tennessee, United States, North America, however you want to keep breaking that down. Like, ultimately, our allegiance is to Jesus. Our allegiance is to follow the commands of God above anything else, absolutely. Like, that, like I said, our hope is not in this world. Like, because of Jesus, because of him dying as our sacrifice, like, our hope is not here. Our hope is in so much more. Our hope is, is in his return, And it shouldn't be surprising when the world hates us because of the way that God calls us to live. That's, that's not surprising. It shouldn't be. God says that very clearly. The, Jesus says, the world is going to hate you. It hated me first. But that doesn't remove our obligation to live in the world, to live in the culture that he's called us to be in without unnecessarily offending people. So when I, when I lived in China, I was invited to a minority celebration um, at, on a college campus um, from a minority people group in China, um, the E people. Um, and it was their big celebration um, on a college campus. And I was invited to go by a friend of mine that I was um, trying to okay, invest in, in him and get to know him. And he invited me. And what I was told was there was this it was a huge honor to be invited to this. Both for me, it was an honor for me to be invited as a foreigner, but it was an even bigger honor for him to, to have a foreigner with him at this big celebration. And I was kind of informed of that going through by other friends. But it was like a big thing. I mean, there was a fire, there was a bonfire, there was line dancing around a circle, around a fire. I learned very quickly, I can't do that, I'm awful at that, I have no rhythm. Um, but... There was also a big meal involved, a big meal with a ton of food and a ton of beer. And that was the, how they celebrated. It was a big thing. And very quickly, it was obvious that I was some honored guest for him to bring. I mean, he was so excited, introducing me to everyone. I really can't understand a whole lot about what's going on, but it was a big deal for me to be there. And it was really important to him, among his friends, to have me there. And all of a sudden, a big thing I, real, I learned was it was all about toasting. There was like probably 300 toasts within this hour I was in there, inside the dinner portion. And they were toasting with beer. 
everything about that the church often teaches is drinking is bad. And I disagree. I think there's a real bigger conversation there, but I don't think that drinking is wrong. Drunkenness, absolutely. In order to not offend him, if I would have said, no, I'm not going to participate in your toast, I'm going to stand back, I think would have really offended them. I, was t- I asked about that later in side conversations. I asked, would, was that offens- would that have been offensive? And he said, absolutely. Like, he didn't say absolutely, but he said yes. I was like, okay. I, I, I really felt like to be a part of that, to, un- to not unnecessarily offend him, I needed to be a part. I needed to show him that I cared about our friendship, that I wanted to honor him in that way. I wonder if my mom's going to listen to this one. Um, <laughs> but that being said, like, it wasn't like, I, w- I was very careful. I'm not, I'm not getting drunk. I'm, I'm toasting with, I made like 30 toasts out of a glass about this big. It was a skill. Um, but because of that, because he knew I cared about him, our, our relationship grew a ton from then, from that, that moment on. Like we had lunches, we had dinners. It, and it, that's where our friendship really started. Like, I've got, I've got a picture. I don't want this to be boastful or anything, but, like, there's a picture of us sitting at a restaurant of him reading this Bible right here, asking me questions about things that he had been told a long time ago by some other foreigner. Our friendship grew because I was able to honor him in something that I... Chinese beer was not very good. It was awful. But I was able to honor him in that way and not unnecessarily offend him. And I think that's a way that the church often has. And in order to protect ourselves, we've unnecessarily offended. Like, it's in trying not to live under the, the government or whatever way that God is placed there, we unnecessarily offend. When we speak out against that drinking alcohol is a sin, or we speak out against things that are not sins and call them sins, we offend a lot of people. I'm not saying downplay what sin is. Not at all. Like, Jesus talked about what is sin and called people out for their sin. But I think when we add unnecessarily th- unnecessary things to the gospel, we offend people. The gospel is going to offend people. Jesus, when preaching the gospel, offended people. But we don't need, we don't, our, the gospel's going to offend, our actions should not. In terms of like the government, God, again, just being a part of the world that God has placed us in, that's under a specific government, in a specific, in a specific country, at a specific time. Like we see time and time again, Jesus, Paul, Peter, Ultimately, Jesus teaching about the importance of the government that he has over you, that those are instituted by God. Look at Romans 13, 1 through 2. It'll be up on the screen. Paul says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. 
Peter also teaches in 1 Peter 2, 13-16, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and, praise, and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Like Jesus is going to teach here in a couple weeks, as, as we go through Matthew, like give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Like if, if, if Caesar is taxing you, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Like, it's just very clear, like, we're to be good citizens, to simplify it, I guess. Like, we're to be good citizens of the country, the, of the law, of what God has placed us in. Like, if we believe that God is in control, we talked about this last week, if God is sovereign, if God has instituted these governments, that they're put there by him, then it's not our job to speak out against that. I'm not saying ignore sin. I'm not saying not speak out against sin because absolutely, like we're, we obey God first, but part of obeying God is obeying the government that he's put over us. Like, it doesn't matter what your political beliefs are. It doesn't matter what your ideology is, all like Republican, Democrat, any of that. Like, I can say 100% confidently that it was God's will that on March 12, 2017, Donald Trump is president of the United States. Like, I don't care if you disagree with everything that he does or agree with everything that he does. It is God's will right now that, that, that he is there. The next president, whether the most godly man the nation's seen as president or whether the most wicked, full of hate, full of evil man ever to be president, whatever that be, it is God's will that he be there. I'm not... We don't hold back necessarily from speaking out about, against sin when it is there. But we also know that God is in control and has every single leader, every single government there. And our, and our role is to be good citizens. You see, like Jesus seemed, I said this earlier, Jesus seemed to disagree a lot about what was going on in the temple. He went in and called them out for that, drove them out. Called it a den of robbers. But he still paid the tax. I find, like, we do a lot of things. Like, you see all the time people complaining about different political things. The things that are not sins. They disagree with taxes. They disagree with this or that or that. Things that I don't think is our role to be about. Like, the Bible... It calls us ministers of reconciliation. We preach the gospel. We're good citizens. We do what we're supposed to do. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is our ultimate leader that we follow. But we're also supposed to be here and now. Like, this isn't about paying taxes. It's really not. Like, pay your taxes. Do that. Like, it's, it's not about taxes. It's about being a part of the world that God has placed you in. Not in the sin of the world, but of the world here now. Like, I think often the church, global church, is one or the other, one extreme or the other. The church is becoming more and more like the world, accepting of the sin in the world, 
looks no different than the world, downplays the sin of the world, cheapens the gospel in doing so. The church is becoming very good at being like the world. And then at the the other flip side of that, other churches and other Christians are very good at not being a part of the world, very good at standing back, very good at isolating themselves from the sin of the world, following so many laws like the Pharisees were even about protecting themselves from the sin, that in protecting themselves from the sin, they're isolating themselves from the sinners and unable to share the gospel because they've distanced themselves so much. They'll preach, they'll, they'll scream from a distance, they'll make their Facebook post, but they won't go to the sinners. They won't go to the people that so desperately need the gospel. And I think you see both of the extremes. You see the church not knowing how to interact as a part of this world. We read Matthew 15 where Jesus says, his disciples, you're not part of the world. Like, you're not of this world. Your hope is not in this world. I've, because of me, because of my blood, you're not of this world. Absolutely true. 100% saying, yes, Jesus is right. But listen to his prayer in John 17. This is in verse 14 of John 17. I have given them, this is Jesus praying, praying to God. He says, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as I am not of the world. But listen to this. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Like, those that he has saved, those that he has called to himself, that he has died for, are, called, are not of this world, but they're sent into the world. Just as Jesus was sent into the world. Like, Again, our hope is not in the world. When the world fails, our hope is so much bigger than the world. Our hope is Jesus. He's, he, disease, death, all that is already, we already know he's going to come back and totally fix that forever. Like our, that, our hope is not in the world. But that's where we're at right now. Like Jesus was born to Mary, to Joseph, as they were obedient and going to pay, be a part of this census. Like, Jesus, as part of the culture, would have been taught the trade of Joseph as a carpenter, as part of the culture that he was in. Jesus would be obedient. and He would pay this tax. Although he didn't have to, he would do that as part of the culture that he was in. Often you always hear people say, in the world but not of the world, in the world but not of, in the world but not of. Yes, but I think if you look at what Jesus is saying, and this is not my phrase, but I really, really like it, not of the world, but sent into the world. Not of, but sent into. Because, like, we're supposed to be different than the world, absolutely. Like, we're not called to be just like the world. We're, we're, we're to abstain from the sin that is so rampant in the world. But we're sent into the world to take the gospel to the world. 
And it's really hard to do that if we're not apart, if we're not ingrained into the culture of the world. Different than the world. Not in sin like the world. Like I said earlier, the gospel is going to offend people. The Bible says the gospel is going to offend people. It's going to be offensive. As we live out following God's commands, it's going to be offensive to people. But we don't need to unnecessarily do so. If something's not sin, we don't need to offend people. Like, our allegiance is always going to be to God first. It's always going to be to God's commands. But being a part of this world is what allows us to take the gospel to the world. Like, doing what we're supposed to be doing is how we take the gospel to the world. Like, I said last week, like, oh, here's the application. It's very clear. Pray. In, in your dependence, Pray. I don't know that it's quite so clear this week. I don't know if it's quite so, well, this is how you apply these four verses. But I I just ask you, like, what, which of those two extremes do you lean towards? Are you so much like the world that nobody knows, nobody can see that you're different from the world? Is your life involve all the same things? does, Does your life not, is it not, different? Are you involved so much with the sin of the world that you need to repent from that sin? I don't know. Is your life so guarded against every other people in the world because you're afraid to, and and out of good desire not to sin, you've guarded yourself from the people that are so desperately in need of the gospel? Or are you playing your part, doing what you might not be required to do? Are you doing what it takes to live in this culture that God has you in and then using those platforms that God has given you to share the gospel? Because like Jesus prayed that we, that we, that we would not be taken out of the world. He says, I don't pray they be taken out of the world, but that they be kept from the evil one. And just as he's saying, talking to God, just as I, you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. Because I think following Jesus means being present, being obedient to him, and being sent into the world. Like, we're not satisfied by the world. We're not satisfied and hoping that the world is going to get better because our hope isn't so much, something so much more. Our hope is, and like joy should be looking forward to Jesus coming back, to him making everything right, that our eternal hope is something so much bigger than here. But until that day comes, until that day comes, we're here, we're right here in this place, in Johnson City, in Tennessee, in the United States, whatever that be. And we're here and we're able to share the gospel. That, that is what we should be passionate about. Not passionate about speaking out against government issues. Not passionate 
and unnecessary quarrels about preferences or ideologies or all these different things. But we're citizens that are obedient to the government that we're in, that the government we're under, but that our hope is in Jesus and we tell other people that and we take the gospel to them. I just pray that we as the church would not desire so much to be out of the world that we're detached from it. I think that's a temptation for us to be in our Christian bubble. But we're to be of of the world in the sense that we're using the platforms that God has given us here to share the gospel. Let's pray.